You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into an ugly outing between Philly and Utah, Don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com where we have you covered for all things Sixers. One of the people behind the magic at Liberty Ballers joining me for this one, Jackson Frank. Did you have a tough time staying up for that second half there, Jackson? Or how were you feeling energy-wise? Luckily, I'm on on the West Coast, so I was okay. But uh, I would say I had a tough time maintaining focus in the second half. Maybe not my eyelids staying open, but my eyelids staying focused on the on the screen in front of me, at least. Yeah, it was one of those games where you're checking Twitter more than you're actually watching (laughs) watching the game in the second half. Uh, The Sixers ended up losing 120 to 85, and it was kind of interesting because you're watching this game in the in the first quarter and early on. And I kind of like to do this where you notice where the team is struggling and and they're not. So in the first quarter, the Sixers were only down 30 to 28. Uh, they were actually down by 10 with three minutes left in the first. Made a pretty nice run to get it down to two uh, going into the second. But then I looked at the shot chart between the first quarter and the second quarter. So everything the Sixers are doing in the first quarter, they're getting to the rim. That's opening up things in terms of the penetrate and kicking it out to open guys for, for three uh, didn't do that in the second half. A lot of standing still, or the second quarter, pardon me, a lot of standing still, a lot of one-on-one. The Jazz ended up going on a 14-0 run to start the second, and that pretty much, well, was it. What do you think went wrong? And the fact that, I mean, again, they're still dealing with life without Joel Embiid and, and Matisse Thybul, who are in the league's health and safety protocols. You have Danny Green still sidelined. So when you're looking at this, is it is this this five-game losing streak, the fact that they could be doing something different or it was this a, a game that going into Utah, a tough place to play as it is that you kind of expected something to go wrong in this one. Yeah. I think maybe in prior games, you could have said, you know, change a thing here or there. And, you know, they're right. They, they win. I mean, they lost, they had what basically three straight games against the bucks, the, the Raptors and the Pacers where it was coming down the last couple minutes, but tonight, yeah, they just, they're just under man. They're missing. If you include Ben Simmons, they're missing their four best defenders among him, Joel, Matisse, Danny green. Um, and they just, they couldn't, they couldn't stop the ball at the point of attack. And then, you know, Rudy Gobert for all of his, you know, his struggles offensively as a player at times, he's, he's a great pick and roll lob threat. And when Ronda Drum was out of the game and Andre only played 12 minutes, I don't know what exactly that was for, but he didn't play well in his 12 minutes for the most part. They had no way to stop that. So tonight it was like, yeah, maybe like the shot, if they hit more open threes, then yeah, they lose by, by 26 rather than 35. But for the most part, I just I just thought it was it was an undermanned team and a bad matchup, missing missing key players. And sometimes those things happen. The Sixers have largely played pretty well, uh, you know, without without all with these guys in another lineup. And I know they're on a five game losing streak now, but a lot of those losses recently been close. And tonight was just sometimes the shots don't fall, and you know things are kind of catching up to them. So I don't even think they played poorly. They just they're just in a really really tough spot currently. Yeah. And then you can see that it's, you know, it's starting to wear on them in terms of their, in terms of their depth, you know, I mean, even it helps getting a guy like Isaiah Joe back. 
We saw Charles Bassey get some run in this one. But, you know, I pointed this out on, on Twitter as well. You're looking at Seth Curry as the guy who helped carry the load, you know, previously when Joel was out and, and he was, you know, shooting above 60% uh, throughout the first stretch of the season. Now, over the last five games, he's 12 for 40 from the field. You're looking at Ferk who is a chucker, just anything he wants to get in his hands, it's going up, but he's 10 for 49 over the last four games. So you're looking at those guys. Is there anything you think Doc Rivers can be doing tactically different that might be able to get things, you know, going for, for the shooters like Seth and, and Ferk, at, at least for the time being that for, for as long as Joel is out. Yeah. It's especially a good point about Seth. I think that he's really missed Joel. The quality of looks have gone down. Um, the volume's gone down as well. And I think some of that speaks to him just not having the same airspace without Joel, like they can still still try and run those triple handoffs with, with Drummond. But part of what makes it so deadly is when they run those things on the wings with, with Joel and Seth, Joel's is a threat to spot up or, you know, pop for three and then attack off the dribble. Drummond doesn't offer those. He can hit passes to cutters. He can make the dribble handoff reads, but he doesn't have that same scoring utility. So I think you've got to probably tweak exactly how you're using Seth. Um, maybe more flare screened with Drummond as a screener, maybe more Spain pick and rolls if you can. Um, you know, maybe like Tyrese Maxey's the, you know, the ball handler and Drummond is, is rolling as the first screener. And then Seth is hitting that second back, that back screen is the second guy. Cause he's pretty good at setting screens. Um, you know, takes after his brother. You know, Steph is a really good screener for guards. So I would just try and kind of shift how you're using uh, Seth as long as, you know, Joel is out. Cause I think that's really, I think he, you know, when, when Danny Green was around, I think both Danny and Seth were the two, you know, biggest beneficiaries offensively of Joel's just immense gravity he has to open up looks from deep. And that's not there right now. Obviously Danny's out currently too, but, with Furcon, I don't, I don't feel like there's a huge difference. I think obviously maybe he's a little overextended as a shot creator, but he's just missing some good looks. Honestly, um, he had a, he had a few shots tonight that I didn't love the decision making. But I mean, at the same time, he's only he's one of only a handful of guys right now who can you know at least have the ability to shoot the ball after dribbling. And as I say, he's some great creator, but there is skill and utility in that. So. Ferk, I'm less, you know, I wouldn't say I'm concerned about Seth, but Ferk, I'm less like, ah, oh, there's something you got to do a lot different. The shots just aren't falling. But Seth, I think as long as Joel is at, you got to kind of shift the usage because you can't run that, that, that dynamic dribble handoff game that's made Seth so good uh, in his year plus a sixer. Uh, another concern of Jackson looking at this, looking at the squad, and obviously the return of Joel and Bede will, will help with this. But even when he has been in the lineup, they haven't been good at it. Uh, rebounding. The Sixers currently right now, you're looking at this. I mean, after this game, they're they're last in the NBA, 42.1 rebounds per game. Uh, looking at how many offensive rebounds they're giving up overall. They're they're giving up the second most, uh, tied for the second most with the Kings. Is that something that they need to focus on? And what do you think, in your opinion? Because you have two guys who are monsters on the glass in terms of Embiid and, and Drummond, but they obviously don't play together. Uh, why do you think they're getting beat so much on the on the offensive glass? And what do you think they could be doing differently to, to fix that? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, it's something that I've noticed in terms of like, I've noticed the results, but I haven't quite been able to nail down the, the culprit of it. Um, whether that's because there's been so many guys in and out of the lineup, but I think this is one area they do miss Ben Simmons. Like offensively, I don't really think they miss Ben. Like I know they, they came into tonight's game as the number one offense, probably not going to be the case anymore after they produce an 86.7 offensive rating, which is just abysmal. Um, but defensively, you know, I think they, they miss Ben in a number of ways. And one of those is, is Ben is a really good rebounder. He's, aggressive you know getting the they're pursuing the ball um part of that is because it's such a tr dynamic transition playmaker but um and i think even then like they're, they're running a lot of small lineups but you know when mm -hmm. um you know even like even when joel's out there at times they'll go to, to niang at the five um and whatnot and especially without joel i mean you look at you know 
Paul Reed's a backup five. It doesn't seem like Doc really wants him to play the five a lot. They went to Charles Bassey, as you mentioned, ahead of ahead of Paul Reed tonight. So I think they're just small. And, they don't, and it's not like they have these guys that are really, really great rebounders in the backcourt. Maxie's, you know, Maxie's been great this year, but he's not some incredible guard rebounder. Tobias, I think, can be pretty good, but he also is prone to sometimes watching the shot go up and not boxing out. So um, it's just a lack of size and missing Ben. And then when you throw in all the injuries and the absences, you're even smaller. Uh, and so that, that makes it tough. Yeah. You're, I'm noticing that too. I mean, you know, you're seeing George Niang at some points, you know, goes a small ball five. We saw that for a bit today too, because Andre Drummond really was, was, wasn't very good in the, in the first half. So you're looking at them just size wise. Um, yeah, that's gonna, that's a lot to ask in their backcourt, you know, especially starting when you have Seth Curry and Shake Milton, Tyrese Maxey out there, not exactly guys who you're going to mistake for, for big men who are patrolling the, uh, p- patrolling the paint, but, uh, some positives to talk about. And, and there is one, I mean, I think you're looking at Tyrese Maxey, he's kind of grown up right before our eyes at this point. Still had a, you know, I don't think any, you can say anybody had a good game when you lose by 35, <laughs> but, um, 16 points, four rebounds, two assists. I'm just noticing the way he's playing in terms of, the confidence he has, right? Like getting into the paint and and doing mm-hmm. a quick, you know, quick pull up jumper, um, you know, getting into the paint and and doing these scoop shots, you know, trying to get over defenders. Uh, wh- where do you think his ceiling is? Like not to, not even for this season, but you're looking at Tyrese Maxey. If he continues to improve like this, where do you think he could be at two to three seasons down the line? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think the big thing for him now is is the passing development, right? Like the scoring clearly seems to be on its way. I mean, he just has so many different ways to score right now. I think tonight he hit a pull-up three when a defender went under the screen early offense. He had a, like, he had a drive on Hassan Whiteside. He stopped, he up-faked, and then spun around. Uh, he had a little, like, floater through contact, a scoop layup over Boyan Bogdanovich. Nearly had a layup around Rudy Gobert. Gobert pinned it off the backboard at the very last second. Um, but I think it just comes down to the passing. But I think if that develops, given kind of all the ways we've already seen Maxi grow as a scorer, just figuring out different ways to make it work, and then even defensively, I don't think he's been great the last couple of games, but you've seen some really nice performances from him on that end, especially against Trey Young and Damian Lillard a few weeks back. Um, but it comes down to the passing. He, you know, he really struggles against the the traps and the hedges. There's been a, a string of games where teams will will trap him on on ball screens and Andre Drummond's wide open in the paint, and Maxi just either can't get it there or is too conservative as a passer. So um, that's the next step: is continuing to give him these on ball reps and. and and then you see the film when you see, you go back and say, okay, like they trapped you, you have that path of drum and you got to be willing to take the risk or you had maybe the skip to the corner and you decided to just throw it to the wing and then the defense recovered. So um, I definitely think, you know, being a legit star, just given how, how high I am on, I am on his scoring ability uh, is in the cards, but it's going to come down to the passing because I think that's a really, really key develop, development for him and probably the, the least encouraging part of his game, generally speaking, so far through the early part of, part of the year, which has been a really, really encouraging start you know, as a whole. Yeah, you got to see him kind of develop that. I think, you know, for a guy who obviously hasn't played point guard uh, a ton, you know, at all, really coming up to this point, looking at him getting a little bit more comfortable in terms of, you know, knowing the right moment when to pass, you know, when the, when the defender comes over to help. Uh, you know, making sure that you're you're getting around the defender to either give Joel or or Andre Drummond somebody close to the hoop, and I think that'll come the more he's going through the reps at practice. So I'm looking forward to him adding that to his game. I do have to say one thing though, Jackson. When I'm watching Rudy Gobert, I yelled at the TV a couple of times in the in the first quarter, like Andre. I'm like, just give him one pump fake. He jumps at everything. What are you doing? <laughs> and there was like that one play where Drummond had it, uh, made a nice little move, and just went for an easy hook. 
and and Gobert end up swatting it, which I mean, he's he's a great shot blocker, great rim protector. But I was like, dude, just give him one pump fake. And I didn't see the Sixers do that uh, at all in this one again. But, you know, right now looking at things, the good vibes of that eight and two start and, you know, getting those wins where they were they were beating teams you know, without Joel in the lineup, without Tobias Harris and getting those wins. I think those good vibes are gone at eight and seven, and it's not going to get any easier for the Sixers. You go at Denver on Thursday, Portland on Saturday, Sacramento, a team that's struggling. Again, those are back-to-back. I think even without Joel, that hopefully the Sixers can remain competitive. And then you got a tough one next week when they take on Golden State. So you're looking at this. How do you think this road trip is going to go if Joel and Matisse Thibel are, let's just say, aren't able to play for the next at least two or three? Yeah, that's 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 tough to know. I mean, I think because you're looking at, you know, Tobias missed what basically 10, 10 days exactly. And he was symptomatic and vaccinated. Joel's 10 days would be Thursday and he's symptomatic and vaccinated. So uh, and Tobias hasn't been he's been up and down, I would say, in his three games back. But I mean, it was obviously very good in the Pacers game for the most part. Um, so, I mean, I guess like if you I mean, I just don't I mean, I guess if we're assuming he won't be back until you know, either of those guys won't be back until the Warriors game, I think like. I think you could win two out of three, but I would be just hoping for one out of three if you're the Sixers, right? Like, I think beating all, like, like the Nuggets have been pretty good. I mean, I know, like, the Nuggets have been up and down times, but they still have Nicole Yoke, which is playing, you know, as well as anyone in the league right now. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, the Sixers are pretty small without Joel, and so Yoke would probably feast in, in those in those non-Drummond minutes, and uh, especially if Drummond is struggling like he did tonight, and it could be a significant amount of minutes, so... I would just hope for one out of three, just like maybe like try to get one against the Blazers or the Kings and hope for you can get both of those. Um, the Blazers have been playing well this year. The Kings, you know, I think like I'm not saying I'm not almost the Kings are the Kings, but they, they're not like a, they're not a playoff caliber team to me. So um, you would, I, I think both those games are winnable. I think like I, I this thing, I think beyond tonight's game, the Sixers have basically been a, been in most games. So they mm-hmm. should, should treat most of them as winnable, but the Nuggets feels a little, little far-fetched, but those last two, I think, are, are reasonable, but then you just got to hope you get Joel and, and Matisse, maybe Danny back by, by next Wednesday, because you're going to need all hands on deck against the Warriors who are playing, you know, as good as, as good as anyone in the league right now. Yeah. They put a beat down on, on Brooklyn in the, in, in the, in the first one of the double header on TNT. So, I mean, I, I, I thought the Warriors would be better. I didn't think they'd be this good coming out <laughs> yeah. of the gate, but I mean, they've had a bit of a soft schedule, but they still look for real. I mean, you look at the underlying numbers, um, they're amongst the best in, in almost every category. We did get some, uh, not really a, a groundbreaking report during the TNT broadcast involving Ben Simmons. I want to jump into that. Let's do that after a short break. All right, and we're back. As I was mentioning there before the commercial, uh, TNT's Kristen Ledlow, the sideline reporter, she said uh, she spoke to people within the Sixers organization and kind of getting different answers about Ben Simmons. She says, you know, she's hearing one, which is cut the cord as quick as you can, move on from it. The other is take your time, wait and see what happens. We, you know, we've had these developments this week, and I really like Kyle Newbeck's piece um, that he wrote just on how how uh, Rich Paul and Clutch Sports have been kind of uh, pushing the narrative that, okay, you know, this has been toxic and it's negative for Ben. Again, I, I mean, I've talked about this on, on a solo podcast I did last week, comparing the situation to John Wall is just dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> because they're, they're just not, they're not uh, at all similar. It's apples to oranges in that. But when you're looking at how this whole thing is, is transpiring and, you know, when you talk about the Sixers at eight and two, nobody really cares about the Ben Simmons stuff, right? Because you're like, they've won eight <laughs> out of 10. They're looking good. Now that they've lost five in a row, again, going through a ton of adversity and adversity, pardon me, in terms of the uh, guys missing because of COVID, guys missing with injuries. But when you're looking at, at at this whole thing, how do you feel about it, Jackson? Like from your perspective, is this something that the Sixers should look at moving on from it like ASAP or 
do you agree with kind of what Daryl Morey has been doing, which is I'm going to wait and see and get the best deal I can that'll help elevate our squad into championship contender status? Yeah, I do want to say so. The, the wall parallel was weird. It was a little weird, but I think maybe the only point I think he was trying to make is that, and I don't know the exact extent of the wall situation, but I think what he was trying to say is it's okay when a team asks a player to stay home, but when a player tries to stay away, that's like, there's a double, I don't know exactly, but that's how I interpret it. But it did seem weird to me, but I think I can see at least where he's coming from in that sense. But yeah, it's interesting because for a while with the Benson situation, I, I kind of sided with Maury in the sense not sided with him in terms of like how he's handling everything, but in the sense like, okay, it made sense. This team isn't championship caliber. You should wait until a, a true star comes available. Um, but then the Sixers guys got off to an eight and two start. Joel wasn't even playing that, that well offensively. Um, the role players looked really good. And it was like, okay, like, and then, you know, James Harden was looking a little worse. The car, it doesn't look like Kyrie going to be back anytime soon for the Nets. So there's a guy, you know, who's maybe there's a team that's, that's worse than we expected. The, the Bucks, while I do think are going to be very good eventually, have dealt with a ton of injuries already. The Lakers look worse. The Clippers still on the quad, Jamal Murray's out and the Michael Ford Jr.'s out. So it seems like it's a really open field. Um, but I, I still maintain that stance and that I think it's worth probably just, just trading him. Like, I think especially if, if Joel comes back and Danny comes back and Matisse is back and this team looks like one of the best teams in, in the league, like we saw through 10 games, then you owe it to Joel. You owe it to all these other players to, to do something, right? Because if they look this good without a – top 35 player, let's just say top 40, whatever you want to call it, Ben Simmons. Um, imagine what they could do with maybe a couple of role players. You get a little size in their front court. Maybe you get a, a ball handling upgrade off the bench over a shake. Uh, and now you're really, you're really cooking with something. I mean, you still probably wouldn't want more shot creation, but given how much better Tyrese Maxey looks as a shot creator now than he did in mid October, I think, I think you can maybe, maybe bank on even more internal growth to the point where, I'm not saying he's going to be a 25 points per game score on, you know, 64% true shooting, but even, even more diverse and, and creative and, and skillful uh, come the spring than he is now. So I think at this point, you know, I would wait a little bit to see what this team looks like back at relatively full strength, but I, but I, but I'm largely becoming more and more in support of the idea of giving this team a chance because you like the bench looks a lot better. Joel's defense has been awesome in the regular season. Just like, it looks like his playoff defense um you know they just have a reinforcement maxi's better and so just give them a shot uh, that's what that's what i would do at this point but if they look if they look worse again if they look, kind of look like they're stumbling still after all this then maybe i get a little bit of hesitancy but also for ben's like i'm not trying to like just advocate everything for the simmons side of you know of this but i think for ben's sake too like just like you know let's let's kind of you know part ways right like let's let's put him in a spot that he wants to be let's let's get the let's get the sixers players some more depth not i wouldn't say depth but high-end talent or roughly high-end talent to try and make a run here so kind of a long-winded ramp but i but i've shifted my tone based off what i've seen when these when this team was at rough, roughly full strength to to think that given where the league is at right now that this team has a, has a decent chance if you if you get something relatively worthwhile for ben which i think is which i think is 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 attainable yeah and i i think that you know you might not get what Daryl Morey is looking for in terms of getting this, you know, bona fide, crazy all-star player at, you know, at this rate, I, I don't think you're seeing any teams really. I mean, I, and I was, I was talking about this on the podcast last week. I, you have to wait till, till you see how things shake out in terms of with the league, like, you know, Boston's at seven and seven right now, the Celtics are sitting at 10 and 18 at some point. Do they look to make changes and, and, you know, would a guy like Jalen Brown become available again, who knows? And I don't think the, the Celtics would take that deal straight up, but that's a, the situation to keep an eye on. And because you are there, you live in Portland. When you, when you look at 
what's going on with the Blazers. The team president resigned. Uh, the investigation now into Neil Olshey. You, you got all these little things around them, and and the Blazers as a product are pretty damn mediocre at seven and eight. I don't think they they have the horses or the talent beyond Dame, CJ McCollum, and a couple of other decent pieces that are going to propel them to at least the top of the Western Conference. Is that something you should you would keep your eye on it to see what happens with with Dame there and and if it does, like would the Blazers at this point be willing to to move him if if things don't go right over the next couple of months here? I, th- I think they'd only move him if Dame asks out, right? Like I just, I just, that's just how I feel about it. Um, but, and obviously, yeah, you got to keep tabs on that. You know, I think the three, the three guys that were closely linked, you know, to the Sixers, maybe in a Ben Simmons package were Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, and Damian Lillard. And two of those teams, I mean, those are the top two teams in the East right now with the mm-hmm. Wizards and the, and the Bulls. I mean, I, I don't know how sustainable the Wizards are. I think the Wizards actually look quite good. Um, I don't, I don't think they're going to finish first in the East, but I think given how everything's going in the league, I wouldn't be shocked to see them finish top three or four and the bulls look incredible. Um, so I, I don't think those are many things that are, are viable trade targets before the trade line. But I think, I think Lillard could be, I, again, I think it's largely going to come down to, to what he wants. And right. And he's said a few times as of late that he wants to be a blazer. Now it's, it runs a little uh, contrary to what he, when he reports that came out in the, in the, in the office, season which is not to say that like it, I mean, one truth could exist at one point now it could be different at this point but um you know you just got you got to think that if they're if they're 12 and 14 or something at some point around the you know whenever that is that like maybe maybe dame changes his, his tune i don't know but um I, I don't think it's so much the blazers would trade him i think it's you know dame would come to the team but um the point i wanted to make is i, I think the sixers look like they did before joel went down or not down before he contracted COVID, unfortunately like, I don't think they necessarily need a, like, one of those top 25-ish players, all-star level creators to win the title, given how the rest of the league looks. I think there's so much unpredictability that, like, you just got to give them a chance, right? So, mm-hmm. obviously, Dame is is the, the primary target, assuming he, he rediscovers his, his stroke from deep. But I don't think it's, like, I don't think at this point it's necessarily a prerequisite, prerequisite to be a contender. Even if I'm still a little lower on the six in general, I think the, the entire league you know, as we've learned, like you just got to give yourself a chance. That's what the Suns did. That's what the Bucks did, and um, it's even kind of what the Hawks did at times last year with all those moves they made. And then, so I think I think obviously Dame's a target, but I don't think that's the only way you need to go about it these days. We'll get we'll wrap up on this, Jackson, because there was a report from Sam Emick talking about uh, of the Athletic talking about how you know Luke Walton, who I, again I don't understand how this guy is probably going to get another head coaching job at some point because he's atrocious. But um, looking at that situation in Sacramento. Monty McNair obviously has a connection to Daryl Morey through their days together in Houston. Um, and he's the general manager of the Kings now. And you're looking at this. What do you think of a package? And I, I did discuss this a little bit on, on one of the daily episodes I did uh, this week. But what do you think of the Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald package for Ben Simmons? Would, would that be enough for you to, to jump at at this point and say, you know what, let's take it? Yeah, absolutely. It would. And I, I, was, you know, I, was, I was watching Kings Pistons yesterday. Uh, and both healed and uh, and Halliburton played really well. And I was thinking, like either Halliburton and healed or Halliburton and Barnes is like a, a deal that I that I would do at this point. I know that you know it came out a month and a half ago that the the Kings aren't willing to to deal uh, Tyler Halliburton at this point. Um, but I would even I would even consider you know healed and Barnes and maybe a protected pick or some or something like that. Um, healed, I think you know I was lower on him previously, but I think he's taken a little bit of a jump as a ball as a ball handler and passer. Um, not someone you're going to be asking to run, you know, 46 pick and rolls a game and be a crunch time scorer on the ball, but some of that I think could re- work really well in tandem with Joel, um, get him good looks. And then Halliburton is just like such a, a really good shooter, such a smart decision maker. 
um, you know, can really has, can really make things happen in ball screens. So um, I think that like, those are like, I've watched a few Kings games recently and I've, I've been coming around and Barnes who I like Barnes has been really good as kind of a three point shooter guy who can get downhill in the, in the right situation, really patient, uses his frame well, and then he can guard a few positions. So um, I think any, like any of the, those three guys right there, any two of them would be a pretty worthwhile package for Simmons at this point and guys that could really, really help this team. Um, just to be, you know, they're not stars, but they're guys that I think would represent upgrades over the the players that they would, you know, be quote unquote replaced in their rotation currently for the Sixers. Yeah, I, I would love that deal. I mean, I, I covered the Kings a lot last season and, and you know, what you see from Tyrese Halliburton is something the team needs and the fact that uh, you can't have enough shooting in today's NBA. I think that's number one. And he, he's a wonderful three-point shooter. So is, so is Buddy Heald. Buddy, not that great of a defender, but in terms of uh, what Tyrese Halliburton brings, uh, in terms of shot creation and, and, you know, getting other guys open looks, he's second on the team behind the Aaron Fox, uh, just over five and a half assists a game. So he's a guy to me again, who, you know, we're talking about Tyrese Maxey where I look at Halliburton and, and think if this guy continues to grow, do I think he's going to be a perennial all-star? I don't think so, but I think he's a guy who could make two or three all-star teams um, when he's having really good, a good season with, with good teams, but that's a situation we'll, we'll keep our eye on for this one. Jackson, want to thank you for joining me. Uh, you'll be doing this with me hopefully once or twice a week going forward and, and make sure you can, you can plug your Sixers bell ringer. Cause you do a good job with that <laughs> after every game as well. Yeah. If you, uh, I know the bell ring hasn't been a very fun activity for fans as of late, but uh, do a little player of the game every, every game. Uh, go ahead and check that out. Uh, I was feeling who I feel, I feel like it's an easy choice today, but hopefully we get the Sixers back at full strength soon and, uh, we're doing some bell ringers after winning games, and there's a little more uh, complexity in choice. But I appreciate you having me on, and uh, excited to talk maybe about some fully healthy Sixers in the next uh, few few days or weeks, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, because let's be honest, it's not fun recording a podcast after a 35-point <laughs> loss because there's not much you can really <laughs> dissect yeah. for the game. But we did a good job of it on this one. Uh, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, as Jackson mentioned, we got you covered at libertyballers.com for all things Sixers. That'll do it for this episode. We'll catch up with you all next time. Thank you.